Thank you for listening to the Maker in the Mix podcast, where we discuss design, innovation, and all things concrete. <laughs> oh. Jumping the gun. Well, you know. It's, it's all right. That's all right. Uh, let's see. So, uh, Jeff, how was your uh, how was your weekend and start of the week? Uh, okay. Kind of busy and crazy as normal. Um, trying to wrap things up with uh, behind the scenes things that folks will find out about soon enough. Um, exciting. Yeah. Oh, you got to go with the flow, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, I've been. I don't want to say inundated, but I've had a number of people, both students and non-students, ask very similar questions, which is a topic of today's podcast. And it's something that everybody deals with at some point in time in some way, shape, or form. Sure. And uh, it has to do with casting surfaces. So good morning, by the way, to everybody. Yes, good morning and welcome to whatever, what's up, what episode are we on now? Season two, episode six, I believe. Season two, episode six. Which, if you extrapolate that out, I believe that's episode 41. Uh-huh. Cool. So all the mm-hmm, answers mm-hmm. to everything will be next, next episode. Ooh. Episode 42. The life, the universe, and everything. It did it again, Jeff. Freaking every time I use my phone, every single time. Somebody calls and it. Yes. Yes. All right, let's. We can start over. No, no, it'll it'll include the first recording, so it's right. just annoying. That's fine. Yeah. Um, don't. So every it. single every single uh, answer to everything will be in episode forty-two. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. All. All. Because the answer is forty-two. Exactly. Exactly. And that has something to do with the binary, I think it's the binary or hexadecimal version of what 42 is. And Douglas Adams was very... So um, I guess whatever you're working on had better be ready by uh, by next week then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to today's topic. So casting surfaces. So there are two basic flavors of things. There are surfaces that you use once or once or twice. And then you start over. And the most common surface that most people use, either entirely or in part, is your your ordinary melamine. And why do we choose melamine? That's choose really melamine accessible. It's, it's cheapish. It's cheapish. Uh, it does the job. Um, it does a pretty good job for most applications, right? Yeah. Um, it does have some significant downsides. One, it's not cheap. Um, it used to be about a dollar a square foot, but now it's gone up. And, you know, you can kind of only use the surface a few times at best. Right. Um, it's not very strong. It's not very stiff. Um, you always have to back it up if you're doing anything that has some pressure involved. Uh, it needs support, so you can't just like build a a big form and then stick that on sawhorses. 
Um, well, you can, but you're not going to get what you want. Um, You'll get a banana. You get a banana at best and a big mess on the floor at worst. So it doesn't hold screws super well. Doesn't hold screws board. super well, um, and you can't put a screw back in the same hole multiple times mm -hmm. and expect. But it as waterproof sheet goods goes, it is the cheapest you can get. Yeah. So it's a great entry level. And I mean, frankly, you're gonna more yeah. than likely you are always gonna use melamine in some Absolutely. capacity. It's one of those must-have ingredient uh, materials, materials in your shop. Right. Whether you just use it for edges, I'm gonna. I got some a bunch of photos I've been collecting that I can share. You might use them for edges. You might use them for whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the the majority of this topic is going to be focused on casting tables, and there are two styles of casting tables. Um, and the reason I mentioned melamine is melamine forms or all melamine forms rely on one of either one of these casting tables. And then one form basically is just a workbench, if you will. Yeah. And the other is a workbench that has a permanent reusable surface that will la should last many, many years. So you mm -hmm. buy it once, you maintain it, and you keep using it. And that's really going to be at the heart of the, the focus of this discussion is like, what are they, pros and cons to this? Because I've answered a few questions um, recently online that, that touched on some of these things, but I think it's a topic that enough people think about or aware of or have uh, initiated or, or created for themselves that like, let's, mm -hmm. let's kind of expand on this. Cause I, I've seen the biggest casting table I ever saw was uh, it was at least six feet wide. It could have been wider, but it was 24 feet long. Mm -hmm. It was one of two. So that is a big monster table. Um, and we can talk about different casting table sizes as well. So um, let's talk about what, what you have right now. Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of history first. Um, for a few years, I was melamine only. I had a, essentially, like you said, a worktop workbench. It was all plywood, had been painted, um, and we would just throw melamine forms onto it. Um, and I, I, I will say, that that was probably the most stable table I've had. Mm -hmm. um, it was built super well. It was built by Chuck before I bought the company, and it was dead flat the entire time I used it. So from that perspective, it was fantastic. Um, however, I wasn't wet processing it at, at the time. Um, so, well, not not uh, upside down. Um, forgive the sawdust noise in the back. Um, I will normalize. It's a working shop. I will normalize audio levels in post-production. But um, it, um, so it's great. Uh, but melamine is expensive to, you know, keep buying over and over and over and over again. And then you have um, and to so, deal with it after you're done. Like, yeah, exactly. So it's a lot of waste. Um, and again, melamine is always, I mean, I've got 10 sheets of the stuff right now. Like I always, 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 always have melamine. And there are some things that are always going to be just melamine forms, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, then I moved to epoxy. Um, and so I essentially built a, a small 3 8 of an inch lip around that casting table and did a self-leveling bar top epoxy, um, which was great. But there were a few issues. Um, 
first, the Barclay Epoxy takes a solid week to get to the point where you can really cast on it uh, without issues. Um, it's kind of soft. We'll get soft. into that later, but yeah. Um, and, and to be frank, it was never really hard enough to, I don't know, never really hard enough for me to feel comfortable with it, although it did work. We got used to it and all those things. Now, um, I, I subsequently built a 20-foot by 6-foot and did epoxy on that as well. I went to West Systems Epoxy for that one, which was a much better performing. However, it didn't self-level quite as well, and so we had some undulations, shall mm -hmm. we call them. Um, and then when I moved up here, uh, we went to a solid surface or Corian. Um, it's not a DuPont brand Corian. It's a, I don't remember why. I think it's, it's either LG. There are a lot, a lot of different solid surface brands. But uh, solid surface, half inch thick, which essentially, you know, it's a half inch acrylic. So it's very hard. It is kind of brittle, but it's very hard and very easy to release. Um, honestly, it's a fantastic casting surface. That being said, it is very, it, it has, it hates heat. Um, and so there are a couple of things that I am noticing now three years in, uh, that are starting to kind of rear their ugly heads that I'm going to have to address. Um, first off is I have infrared heat in my shop. So my shop's nice and warm. Um, but one of those heaters is quite near the casting table. Despite being 10 feet in the air, it does affect the casting table and the surface it's is It's a 100,000 so. BTU heater. Yeah, I got two of them. Um, so the, the front end of the heater where the flame is, is 870 degrees when it's on. So... Sucker's hot. Um, and so a couple of errors that I made. So if you're going to use a, a Corian casting table, and honestly, I recommend it. Um, I am going to repair this one, and it's, it's endlessly repairable, so I've been very happy with it as a casting surface. I'm not going to move away from it. I may build a steel table, which we'll get into later. Um, but uh, the Corian glue is essentially Corian, so if you've got divots or need to make a repair, you can fill it and polish it flat, and it's castable in a couple of hours. Um, it, it dries much faster than epoxy. So I think from that standpoint, the, repair the repairability is really good. Um, the things that I would advise now having done some of those things wrong, if you're going to use Corian, is a few things. First, um, marine-grade plywood, two layers. Make sure it's nice and flat, good and flat, before you even put the Corian on. Two, inset your uh, subtop at least a half an inch so that you can um, laminate Corian onto that subtop so that water doesn't get onto that subtop. Yeah, so you have a drip edge. Yeah, you want a drip edge. Uh, that's one thing that I failed to do, and it has bitten me pretty hard because I waterproofed the edges of my plywood base. One enough. Um, water, I mean, we wet process, so there's just a crap ton of water all the time, all the time on that table, and uh, the the you know, bottom line is water intruded into the into the plywood, and yeah. so I've got a little bit of a banana uh, that I've got to fix, um, and that just is what it is. So I'm going to start repairing that table pretty soon because I've got a few projects coming up that don't require it. Uh, I've got a bathtub to make for a house in Orlando. I've got a, a few range hoods to make. Um, so I've got some stuff going on that does not require. The casting table because it won't fit on the casting table. So, so, um, so let's before you know. we get into the top, the different materials you just mentioned, Corian. Um, I've over the last twenty, coming up twenty five years this summer, used. I've not used Corian personally. Well, I have in your shop, but not in my own shop. 
but I've used several different ones, several common ones. And I started out with laminate. Mm-hmm. Um, again, remember back 25 years ago, there were very, there was very little information about how to do this. So you're kind of like taking your best shot, right? So my first casting tables were built, um, I, I did woodworking as a hobby. And so I had a workbench. I had a traditional like wood carver's workbench, big, thick maple top. It wasn't big, but it was like your traditional woodworking workbench. And then I also had sort of like an assembly workbench that was much bigger. And it was a torsion box because that's a very efficient way of making a big flat table. So I thought, well, it's an easy, easy way to make a big flat stable surface with nothing more than, you know, a circular saw and a straight edge and a little care. And certainly if I can build furniture, I can build a, a, a casting table. Um, so I, my first table was um, a torsion box and it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to push anything, but on the CCI website, we have casting table plans that include a torsion box design and a different design that I'm going to go into. It's more of a solid uh, T-beam. It's a double T-beam style. Uh, basically you're just laminating lots of plywood into very stout beams. Right. So the, the basic characteristics of a casting table, there's two, there's a, a few elements, few critical elements that regardless of what it's made out of, uh, what style of construction it is, or what the casting surface is to be effective and to be, uh, functional for a long time. They must have these characteristics. Mm-hmm. The casting, the, the 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 basic structure of it needs to be stable. It needs to be rigid and flat and resist twisting um, under anticipated loads. So like when I design my tables, I usually design them for a solid two-inch thick layer over the whole surface, um, which we almost never do but you might cast something pretty heavy in the middle. So you've got to kind of anticipate that. Um, I want the, you know, I want it to stay flat, right? So you can make a table flat and what tolerance of flatness are you willing to, you know, it doesn't have to be flat to within like two microns. That's kind of ridiculous. We're not doing a surface plate for machining, but let's say my table is, I don't know, let's just say it's 12 feet long. Right, that's a pretty good sized average starting table size. Over that 12 feet, I can't tolerate a quarter inch dip. That's way too big. Right. I would also say an eighth of an inch is probably way too big. But maybe a sixteenth of an inch is maybe the upper end of the tolerance level of non flatness. I mean, you have to have some level of reasonability. I would shoot for 30 second. I would like none, but that's just not practical. Mm-hmm. But, you know, mm-hmm. there's a point where our concrete is a little bit flexible. And when you're making something really big, it's going to naturally flex to accommodate that. So if we cast a 16th of an inch bend, which would be a hump in a 12 foot slab, its own weight is going to take that out. You're never going to notice it. So that to me is like your practical upper limit of what you can tolerate. Now I'm going to shoot for something less, right? My, I'm going to go for less, 
but that's you know you got to draw the line somewhere the the what the I read this quote the the enemy of completion is perfection right you're never going to get there if you make it perfect so the table whether it's wood or steel or some other material can't flex can't twist can't deform under the weight of the concrete so that's 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 a rule so how it's constructed makes a big difference and so knowing right. how different materials behave um one of the downsides of wood and and pretty much all my casting tables have been wood mm -hmm. um wood is very moisture sensitive and you're under you're realizing that it doesn't take long for wood to swell and so you right. have to deal with material that uses waterproof glue and the the you're basically building a boat well, like if you're if your casting tables are going to get wet you have to build a boat and uh there there's some reasons why i didn't have to for a lot of my tables i didn't even bother sealing the wood at all um whereas in your situation you do because in my casting tables i'll show some pictures in a second all my casting tables were relatively small like the biggest one i ever had was five by 12 feet but again, remember this was largely pre-GFRC days, so you didn't, you couldn't really cast anything much bigger than that because it was just too, too, too fragile and too heavy. So twelve foot was about your practical maximum. But all my casting tables were on wheels, so I just moved them around, and I never did wet processing on them. I moved the pieces. And that's the key. Is and that's is... the key? I had steel processing carts. Right, and so were... for me, if my pieces are on the permanent casting surface i've got to do some wet processing on the table right. and then we flip them and, and do our polishing yeah. stuff off of them but there's some wet processing grinding that is just done on the table and right. so and you've got to compensate for that that's also the reality of when you start to get bigger tables you know your your table they right don't now, move they don't move they're permanent that you plan where they're going to go and they're fixed so mm -hmm. you naturally have to do some wet processing flattening the backs and things like that in situ and so that table has to accommodate getting soaked on a regular basis. Um, and that's, that's not easy that, you know, now you start having to look at treating it like a, a boat and a house with flashing yeah. and true waterproofing and even paying attention to the underside because you've got a wet floor with lots of moisture underneath it. You know, that, that wood can absorb moisture in your wet area and start to swell, not because it's physically wet, but because it's in a humid environment. Um, all right. things to consider. Now, if you if you have a casting table made out of steel, you know it's all steel frame. Um, that's you know it might rust, but it's certainly not going to warp because of moisture. But it will deform as it's being made because welding can really introduce a lot of uh, warping during as the metal shrinks as it cools. You can you can take a straight piece of steel and turn it into a banana in the welding process, and that's really hard to get out. So if you're going to make a casting, steel casting table, um, you have to really pay attention to that and be careful about it. So that, those are like the basic criteria, like regardless of the surface, which I kind of really want to focus on, yeah. the frame it's put on has to be, you know, strong, rigid, which is not the same thing, flat, resistant to twisting, this, and, and, and that's just so that the pieces you cast are true to the to the intent of the of what you want the dimensional accuracy. So you started with Corian. Let's let's talk about that a little bit more. Um, 
and I say Corian as the brand name that a lot of people know, but there's, sure. you know, LG has some, there's Wilson Art has one, Formica has a brand. There's a ton of different solid surface materials and they're basically yeah. all very similar. It's um, acrylic. Cast acrylic sheets. Um, you can buy them online. You can buy them generically. I think they usually come about 12 feet by 30 inches wide. All right, so uh, two sheets glued down the middle make a five by 12 foot sheet. Uh-huh. Uh, I think the point you made about it, it being very temp- heat sensitive is probably its biggest Achilles heel. Yeah, I mean, and if you look at like, you know, go on Reddit and look at the solid surface subreddit or whatever, and it's like, I put a crock pot on it and it cracked all the pieces. And that really is, it's, it's super heat sensitive to specifically, um, you heat know, soak. heat soaking, right? So in one spot, it's hotter than somewhere else. It expands very quickly and it will crack. We actually had that experience with the big casting table or big um, conference table that I'm sitting mm-hmm. at right now. Um, the center rib got so hot because it was rapid set that it cracked the table. Now, very easily repairable. I was casting again on Monday. Not a big deal. But, um, you know, definitely something to think about. Yeah, yeah. And that crack was not just like a hairline crack. You could you could put a credit card in it. Yeah, the sucker was all the way through and it was kind of a weird shape. Now, again, yeah. it's fixed. It's very castable, not a problem. But And, and that um, happened after the concrete was hard, so it's not like it leaked or anything like that. No, 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 no. Because the, the, I mean, the cast, the the table came out great. Yeah, yeah. Not a problem. But it's just the the casting surface did not tolerate survive. Survive the, (laughs) you know, you got a sixteen foot long, uh, seven and a half inch wide by nine inch tall solid concrete beam that's getting quite toasty. That's putting a lot of thermal stress on the center of that table. Yeah. Um, So. You know, what are some of the alternatives to, or, well, let's back up. Why do we want a reusable casting surface? Well, we we already mentioned that melamine is all, all the things about melamine. And the, the pros of a casting surface are that it's always there, right? You just yeah. use it. You're not having to spend the money to build the sides. Um, that doesn't mean that it's indestructible. That doesn't mean you can't. You, you have to maintain it, right? You you yeah. must maintain it. And different materials like your Corian, periodically you sand it. I know you've sanded it once um, mm-hmm. and then you wax it. I don't do it very often, but I do do it. Maybe once a year. You yeah, know? and I, I wax it every time. Um, yeah, or, and, or, uh, and wax is all that's needed. It really, it, it does. Um, oh yeah, it's, it releases surprisingly well. Yeah, it's it releases great. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, my first casting table. Let me see if I can pull up that really pathetic picture mm-hmm. of it. I, I'm kind of surprised I actually have a photo because you got to remember this is pre-digital camera days. Not mm-hmm. pre-digital, but they were terrible. Um, right. You know, this is you took a you took a photo of stuff. It was you know a 35 millimeter photo. And uh, all right, I'm going to share my screen. And share a window. Okay, there it is. That is the first concrete countertop I did. And the formwork's terrible. The reinforcing is all wrong. Not all wrong, but just it was completely unnecessary. And again, I'm approaching this from a engineer who built a lot of my concrete countertops. 
<laughs> but the the you know it's a torsion box. The mistake I made as I used solid wood. Can you see this? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can, can see it. This. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can but see the, it. The white surface is for mica, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the point. And and people, by the way, never ever don't build your countertops this way. Everything very, a lot of what's in this is just wrong, right? <laughs> don't hey. don't do that. But takes a big man to admit that he was wrong at some point, right? That's right. I was, I was wrong, and like this is. I think it was like one piece over here, the sink rectangle, which has this giant chunk of rebar in it, which is unnecessary. That was one piece. This was one piece. This is one piece. It's like, good grief. You know, GFRC, this is all one piece. Yeah. Easy, easy peasy. Nowadays, you know, but back then, what did I know? I'm, I'm just a dummy figuring this out. Um, Not a like, dummy, Jeff. And the, 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 so laminate, what's cool about laminate is it's it's a waterproof surface. Um, it's phenolic, right? And, you know, the, there's Formica is a brand. Wilson Art's a brand. There's a bunch of different brands out there. And I, I do know that, like, Wilson Art and Formica both make a 60-inch wide by 144-inch or 5 by 12-foot sheet of laminate as a stock laminate. And it as a material, it's relatively inexpensive. Um, it is relatively thin, so it's probably I don't know how thick it actually is. Less than a sixteenth of an inch. How's that? Right, less than two millimeters. Probably like a millimeter, millimeter and a half thick, something like that. And uh, it, it's hard, and it can scratch. And there's different brands. I know that I had a brand called Nevamar. I think that's from Wilson Art. I'm not sure. It's been a long time. It has a very hard scratch resistant coating on it. Um, so if you've, you know, drag something across it, yeah, you'll get a little scratch, but it's not going to have a deep gouge. What's kind of cool about it is for somebody starting out, they need to get going. They don't want to spend a lot of money. They don't have a lot of money. It might be a good starter casting okay. surface. Um, right. And or if you're just doing something where, hey, I got to make. I got to make a piece and I can't buy, you know, I don't have a casting table yet that's big and mm -hmm. I just need to make like, I need to make a 10 and a half foot long something. Well, splice some plywood together and then put a sheet of laminate over it and voila, you've got a, maybe it's not necessarily a single use, but you've got a temporary casting surface, a little casting table that's not, you know, thousands of dollars. Because right. casting tables themselves are, they're an investment, right? They are a very important part of your shop. Um, you need to think about how big do you want to make it? Um, mm -hmm. There are downsides to going too big. And I'm sure you can add to that. Um, but like with laminate, again, the, the material itself, oh, it gets scratched. You can repair it with epoxy. I used to repair it with five-minute epoxy, no big deal. You can sand it because it's basically waterproof all top to bottom. Yeah. It's it's Achilles heel is not the material itself, but how it's normally used. So it's normally it's a countertop material, right? So you, you go into a home center and you got the pre-made laminate countertops that are standing up on edge and they got that ugly fake granite look or whatever, right? Yeah, I don't care about that. You're just buying the sheet itself comes in a big, you know, rolls up. 
and it's going to be put down with contact cement. And so contact cement's basically like rubber cement that you glue things together in in craft in a craft class. And you know, once it's stuck down, that's it. It's it's fast. It's like almost instant. But the downside is that, that is kind of heat sensitive and it will bubble. Mm-hmm. So I and my I I learned this kind of the hard way is I'd cast a piece and because I'm I was working with conventional Portland cement that you know, it took a little while to to um to get hard every once in a while the heat of the concrete because it kind of got warm didn't get super hot but it stayed warm pretty long it created a bubble in the laminate and uh now how do you fix that so i'd have to take a router cut it out patch it up and it's kind of a pain in the butt so a solution that i came up with was all right, skip the contact cement. What you do is um, you have your cat, in my case, a, a wooden cast. I did a torsion box, wooden torsion box, and then used epoxy to glue it down. Right. Mm-hmm. right. But epoxy, you know, it's not going to hold it, stick it down and keep it flat like contact cement. So I had to then put sheets of melamine on top, completely covering it. And then I put bags of sand on that to hold everything flat. All the epoxy mm-hmm. cured overnight, and then that mm-hmm. worked great. Like that worked great, but it was kind of a pain in the butt sort of intermediate step. Yeah. Um, well, and, and, and you you touched on uh, a minute ago sizing. Yeah, yeah. We can talk. About you know, that. a lot of that depends, of course, on what you're trying to make. Um, mm-hmm. And so, what I have found, and this is a personal thing, you know, as we've mentioned on the podcast, I don't make small things. I mean, I do, but that's not what I do my business on. Um, I like making large pieces, uh, always have. Um, and so, I think that, you know, if you're going to have a single piece casting surface, it's wise to go bigger, um, simply because then you're not limited. Uh, now, I know people that they kind of prefer to be limited because they want to be a one man shop. And so there's just things that you can't uh, do when you're, um, you know, when you're one man shop and, and right, you know, but for my purposes, I have a 16 foot by six foot um, solid casting table. And frankly, I wish that it was seven feet. um, And I wish that it was 20 feet long. Now, have, I've only done 20-foot pieces a handful of times. It doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it's kind of a pain not to be able to just pop it down on my big ca- you know, ca- ca- table. So um, I would advocate a 5-foot table is not big enough. A 4-foot table, 4-foot by 8-foot is kind of a silly size. I don't think it's practical in any respect. Um, Unless you're making a single bathroom vanity, whether it's a single bowl or a double bowl. But a kitchen, no, it's just it's, not worth it. So. I, I think that your your practical minimum is really five by ten. Yep. I, um, I that's, think that's really you know, at the low end. That's a that's but, a practical minimum. Your your sixteen feet is really nice. Well, when you're um, when you're starting out, remember, you're coming at this as a seasoned professional who's been doing this sure. over a decade. So you've you've gone through this is what your second shop or third shop your third shop. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Every time. You you change shops, you gain more perspective. The scope of oh, what sure. you do changes. When you start out, you don't have a lot of space. Like yeah, I totally having a big that. shop, 
is a huge investment. Well, and my shop is not huge, you know, right. just and having a big casting table in a small shop. And I, I'm talking about a small shop being like a thousand or fifteen hundred square feet. Mm-hmm. That eats up, especially a table that doesn't move, that you cannot move. It right. now becomes a hindrance. You got to work around it. Um, this is something that I saw with that big twenty-four foot long table. Was it became a catch-all? Yeah, no, it does. It, it, it just does. you get Absolutely. stuff piled on it, and uh, you know it, it it makes for poor organization, and and then you waste a lot of time having to like clear things off, or if you don't, and you just work around it, and you shove things across, you start damaging the top even more. Right. Um, so. Like again, when I when I had casting tables, I had you know kind of a fleet of them. I had many different sizes. I, I did have my, an original four by eight that I kind of reserved for small stuff, and I actually used it as sort of like a work t- table. Um, you know, I had a seven thousand square foot shop, so I had lots of room. Um, so I had just sort of like a forest of like a parking lot of casting tables that I just you know shoved them around because they were all on wheels. Here's a photo of keep keep losing the photo. Where is it? Mm-hmm. Share um, screen, share my window, boom, share that. So th- that's that's one of my casting tables. So you can see how um, when if you're going to make and th- what you're seeing here is a five by ten. There's three in the picture, and then in the background, there's a five by twelve. Um, these are steel casting tables and we'll talk on about steel steel tops in a second. Um, this is one that's probably more than 10 years old. Um, they've seen a lot of use. So again, the, the um, torsion box design well supported under, underneath. There's a frame underneath that, that actually used a rubber uh, vibration mounts, solid rubber mounts to cushion it because as you know, show me a concrete floor that's old used and is smooth and flat. Right. <laughs> I mean, th- this is pretty, you know, we didn't cast in this area. So the, the floor was kept pretty clean, but it still had some, you know, little roughness to it. So when we're moving these big pieces of concrete around again, not GFRC. So they were more susceptible to cracking. Um, the rubber cushions were there to prevent, shock from cracking the concrete especially when, when it's new but these are you know the the decision of what caster to use is very important um do not buy cheap casters they will you know the weight of the concrete and moving them around that you'll you'll be replacing casters a lot these are all i think roughly five inch diameter which were a little on the small side um but in in general right Casting tables, move them around. If it's if it's a big fixed table on fixed legs like you have, it doesn't matter. Um, right. And we'll come back to the steel in, in a minute. But just this is kind of what we're talking about in terms of it's five feet wide and 10 feet long. And the reason why five feet is sort of the practical minimum width is if you're casting – let's use kitchen countertops as an example. But a lot of people cast things that are – that are not that, right? Yeah. We have more and more versatility of the products we make now that we are dealing with GFRC and similar kind of materials. But a typical kitchen countertop is 25, 25 and a half inches front to back. If you're in the US, if it's metric, it's 600 and something millimeters. Uh, 
635, I'm guessing, something like that. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, metric guy. Y'all, y'all correct. I'm not a metric guy. It, it's close enough where it doesn't matter. But in this case, I can do a long stretch, a long rectangular piece. And then on the opposite side, I can do the same. So I can have two back to back and still have plenty of room for all the formwork material. If I only have a four foot wide sheet, 48 inches, I can't do two 25 inch or 25 and a half inch slabs back to back. They, there's no room for it. So that big four foot wide table largely becomes a waste. I mean, it's not a waste, but I can't use it effectively. Right. And these are extremely versatile tools. They're not cheap to make. They take a while to make properly. They take up a lot of space in your shop. And if they're, if they're not moving, right, you're paying rent for that space. They better be productive. Yep. And so that's where your comment of you wish it was six or seven feet wide. When you start to make bigger things, every, every little bit of space on that table becomes productive space, um, provided you can work around it. So that's, right. that's, you know, my point here was think about what you're trying to make. And when you start out, also think about what you can afford, what room yeah. you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. um, now let's talk about steel for a minute. Um, I mentioned that I'm probably going to build another casting table to augment my space needs. Uh -huh. um, and it will probably be steel. The reason that I, I say that is because, you know, yes, there's more maintenance. Um, you know, you got to keep it clean, oil, blah, 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 grand, you know, polished, ground down or whatever you did. Um, but it is far less susceptible to warping. It's far less susceptible to heat. Well, it isn't really susceptible to heat um, unless it's welder heat. Um, and uh, and so, you know, those are the reasons that I'm looking at it. Um, I can also, I found, get a 20 foot by 8 foot sheet, single sheet. Now, getting that into my shop might be an issue, but, um, you know, that's what I'm looking at. Yeah. Um, and, and again, you know, grain of salt here. I'm not in a garage. If I was, it would be a very different story. I'd probably still be on melamine and that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, you know, when I, when I cast on melamine, like it's honest, it's a great casting material. It's just expendable and that gets expensive over time. So if you're going to do this as a hobby, just stay with melamine is my best recommendation. Or if you want to get it out and you're trying to, you know, I got to get projects out. I want to build my portfolio. Yeah. I want to expand my market. I want to build my business from the beginning. There's nothing wrong with melamine. There's going to be a point where you're going to have to do a piece that's bigger than the melamine that you can buy. And that mm -hmm. is where you starting to think about a casting table with a reasonable casting surface starts to make sense. Exactly. Um, let's get back to steel for a second. Um, yep, let's do it. So when you talk about a steel casting table, I, I want to clarify in my, in the photo I just showed, the steel surface was steel. I mean, the, the casting surface was steel. It was, well, I don't remember, 14-gauge steel or something fairly thin. Um, but it was on a wooden casting, a wooden torsion box subframe, workbench, if you will. You well, could make a steel frame that that steel casting surface is on. Um, sure, sure. 
here here's some again being an engineer there's there's never one answer to everything if you invest in a uh well if if you build your casting frame out of steel tubing let's say your the tendency is to you you know steel's expensive right and the more pieces that have to be welded together with the hot electric hot glue gun uh, called a MIG welder or whatever style the electric hot glue gun <laughs> TIG weld, stick weld, whatever the chances of that warping of not remaining flat mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. you know 16th of an inch over 12 feet so maybe you're doing a 20 foot table maybe your tolerance is I would I would not be comfortable with anything even approaching an eighth of an inch. You know, I'd still like a sixteenth of an inch over twenty feet. That's probably unnecessary, but if you can do it, why not? You know, shoot shoot right. for the moon and, and be satisfied with half that. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a consideration. So the frame, what you make the frame out of is one thing, right? The top itself, okay, so I chose a relatively thin sheet metal. It's not sheet metal. It's not plate. It's kind of in between. I think it's still called sheet. Uh, 14 gauge. I don't know what thick. That's Maybe it was a little thicker than that, but it's it's certainly not an eighth of an inch thick steel. It, it's it's fairly flexible. Um, I, you know, you could hit it with a hammer and not really dent it. So it's not like it's... Thick, did you say it was? I'm sorry. Six, you can look up what standard american sheet metal gauges 14 gauge there's common sizes 14 gauge 12 11 and 10 it might have been this was 14 it was either 14 or 11 gauge i can't remember it wasn't that thick because when you buy steel you buy it by the weight so and then the shape factor has some influence but because steel is a commodity you're really buying it by the weight so if you said, hey, I'm going to, I want something really rigid, right? I want it really rigid. I'm going to get like half inch. I'm going to say 14th and and eighth of an inch is what it looks like to me. Mm, That sounds too thick. What's a a decimal on that? I'm just looking at a sheet. Uh, Steel gauge 14. It's 06 something, I think. 078. 078. All right. So, yeah, I think. I'm sorry. 075. 075. uh, Stainless is 078. Yeah, so it's that's a little thicker than a sixteenth of an inch. Okay. All right. So for Americans, it's probably closer to be like, I don't know what the thickness of a nickel is. I don't uh-huh. know. You know, it's it's got enough body that if I drop something on it, it's not going to put a dent in it. But it's also flexible enough so that if the steel has a little bit of wiggliness to it, I can lay it flat as I'm gluing it down. And I glued it down with construction adhesive. Um, now, what did you do for the edges? So that, well, no, you said you again, weren't. Again, I didn't because uh, I did not wet process on them. Um, and so, what I would do again in that situation is I'd probably lay a ten-inch drip edge and weld the corners. I tack weld them. I don't, or, I don't or, think that's necessary. Okay. Well, I'm I would overkill. Do, I would flash. Overkill. Ain't no kill like overkill, as Jay says. Jay in my shop. I mean, I would take um, 
Marine epoxy. The flashing's a great idea. Yeah, just throw flashing some flashing on. Marine epoxy, like uh -huh. West Systems or System 3 or something like that. Not a garage floor epoxy, but a true epoxy. And mm -hmm. saturate the edges. Yeah, but I, I think in addition to saturation, I mean, literally go to go to your home center and get yeah. some some flashing, some galvanized flashing, and flashing. stick it up under yeah. there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you don't want like a, water. Like a roof drip edge. It's a roof drip edge. You are making yeah. a roof, right? So that, I mean, we, I, I don't want to say we didn't do wet process. Cause you have to grind the backs flat, right? Mm -hmm. But we'd get the pieces off, and then we'd squeegee the tables right away. So yeah. the tables were allowed to dry. And uh, I don't know if you saw in that picture, there was a lot of swirls on that. We just take a diamond. Yeah. I think we did did like 200 grit diamond wet polisher. We'd actually wet polish the top occasionally. What'd um, you do to keep it from rusting? Just um, the constant wax? No, you don't wax steel. Um, ah, you don't I, wax steel. Caleb uh, made a mistake. There's, use the form release agent. So I use Crescent Chemicals 880 VOC. Uh, it's got a slightly different name now. It's it's extra or something like that. But it, it it's a f architectural grade form release agent, form oil, made mm -hmm. for steel forms. So it has a corrosion inhibiting material, and we just wipe gotcha. down the tables. And mm -hmm. this is this is what they look like. This is what a steel table looks like, um, under heavy use. And this oh, is. Wow. Cool. Like that's glue marks where the, the mill scale. So I used hot rolled steel, like just your mm -hmm. regular old hot rolled steel. I have a local steel supplier that I just ordered from. They deliver it, right? Um, recently, I was watching a, a YouTube channel and they, they were talking about, uh, I, I this guy was doing like home metal fabrication. You know, little... Stop the recording when you get a call. No, no, that's because I don't use my phone for anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's see, hot rolled pickled oil, HRPO. So essentially, what they do is they the the manufacturer removes the mill scale, that dark bluish black scale on the surface, use it with acid. It's called pickling. So what you get is bare steel that's pickled and slightly oiled, ready for use, and so you get a better surface finish. I I would imagine. Um, cause mill scale is a little rough and, um, if you want a, a better casting surface. Now I don't consider steel to be able to give a good cream finish. Um, but I've never used a hot HRPO surface. So I don't know if that's actually possible. Um, all I know is I never could get a, a casting surface off my steel that I would consider a high quality. But then again, I never, ever did cream finishes. I always honed the surface, so it didn't matter at all to me. Um, right. But this is, you know, in, in here you can see, I think this was wood glue that did that because wood glue is slightly acidic. And so that removed the mill scale. Hmm. Now, this picture is probably over 20 years old, so I don't remember exactly what was going on. Um, but there's the, like your melamine. Mm -hmm. Just glued down, hot glue. Uh, I used foam, you know, construction adhesive, like for foam board. It was mm -hmm. not super strong, but it held. Uh, mm -hmm. Clamps, double-sided tape, that sort of thing. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that is, you know, 
And that's fairly exhaustive as far as the casting surfaces. Um, well, there's you know, one you more. Can I mean, use, we, you can we, use plexi. Well, glass. Impact, well, solid surface is just another kind of plastic, right? Mm -hmm. So you could, mm -hmm. I have seen people buy big sheets of acrylic or polycarbonate. Um, for, if you insist on having a perfect cream finish, which we've talked about that, we've shared our opinion on that. I just don't think it's worth it. Then having a virgin surface like that might make sense. But once you drag something across it, you just scratch it, you might as well be using something else. Yeah, I mean, paying, you flip the piece once. Like if you slide the piece to flip clear, it. I... Yeah. You're paying still, a lot of money for something like that. I, I, I know a lot of people love cream finishes. I just can't get there. I mean, I don't. I don't hate how they look. Don't get me wrong. I just. I, I think can't get there. I think it's short-sighted in the long run from a production. You know, for somebody who has quarter century. Not only that, it's really not. I think uh, long term, I don't think it's going to be a friendly surface for your client. Um, because <laughs> even if even let's say for the sake of argument, you can get it to the house and, and undamaged and everything's great and perfect. Like the second they, you know, their kid jams a fork into it or scratches it or like it's over and yeah. you can't fix that. And they're going to be mad about it. And so, especially you know, if, especially if you're using a finish that doesn't protect against acid attack. Yeah. And, and you know what, let me, let me say this. Um, there's a lot going around of, you know, this is a total aside. I'm sorry, but I have to say it. There's a lot going around of like making refinishing part of your, you know, weekly or monthly job. And I am sorry, but if you're using a finish that requires constant refinishing to the point where you are making the rounds once or twice a year to, to keep your clients able to use their surface in a happy way, you're not using a good enough finish. Yeah. Like I, I'm not saying the finishes are perfect. I'm not, but you know, Omega, which I use every day in my shop, A, I don't get callbacks on it. And B, when I go look, look at projects later, they're still great. And I'm not saying they're flawless. I'm not saying they don't, you know, take some patina, but we're not talking stains. We're talking like, you know, I, like over time, five years from now, I can see having to go refinish one of my projects. You know what I'm saying? I don't need to refinish 15 projects, 20 projects, 30 projects a year. And maybe, you know, the people who are talking about this only have done 20 projects and they have to their whole business is re repairing those 20 projects every year. I don't know. But I just I can't get there, man. I, I cannot. It bothers me that anybody would ever advocate for being so being so tied to a finish that clearly doesn't work that they have to make a regular part of their business the refinishes. biggest hurdle that i used to hear and i still hear this and i still see this is very common on the internet is the well from from our perspective right because we use high performance coatings that actually protect our concrete the myth that what a novel concrete, concept concrete stains and is high maintenance and if you choose a finish that doesn't really protect if it doesn't really work from an objective homeowner standpoint oh i can't get my sink wet because it'll leave a mark that doesn't go away um that ain't working by the way uh if if you build your business around using a product that perpetuates 
and hamstrings the industry. You're not doing yourself a favor. You're not doing your customers a favor. And frankly, you're really hurting the whole industry because concrete can be so much better than that. Why you're going backwards. You're going back to the stone ages. You might as well, you might as well just plain use wax and nothing else because that's about as good as it's going to, I mean, it's about the same anyhow. And, and, and this kind of ties back into the cream finish because if you got a cream finish, you know, when you cast concrete against a very smooth surface, especially a, a, like a, a perfect glossy piece of plastic, a very good quality surface that's cast well, say it's vibrated, will take on the surface texture of that casting material. And if the casting material is super glossy, you're going to have a piece of concrete that is super glossy. Right. But guess what? It's still bare concrete. And that surface, that cement layer that forms that glossy surface is a few microns thick. You drag a rough coffee cup across it, ceramic coffee cup across it, it's going to scratch it. And guess what? You, there's no way to repair it. Nope. And if you start, oh, I'll, I'll come in, I'll dry polish and things like that. Well, what happens when you start to burn through that? And now you have an area that looks different because you're starting to expose the sand grains that are immediately under that cream surface. Once you do that, you can't put it back. And now you've opened the can of worms and now your customer's going, well, you just made it worse. Yeah, exactly. And so where where can you go from there? So I think that whole approach is from a practical, long-term usability and livability standpoint is, I think this really short-sighted. Sure, the piece looks good. I just saw a recent photo on the internet of this very intricate, monolithic, white vanity. Had a round sink in it, legs, had these weird kind of blocky wing things on it i don't know yeah it, it looked like I mean, plastic it was, it, was it it could have been plastic i mean that was like a really good representation of cheap cultured marble well yeah like, uh, i had a client a who wanted material. to use i had it, a client uh it, out west who wanted to do a fireplace hearth and uh we just we're too busy to do it in her time frame. Um, and, uh, and she was like, well, you know, I, I went with kind of a boring dectum, just white. And it's like that, you know, designers, like, it's cool that you could do this, this shape, but like, if it doesn't look like anything organic, why? Yeah. Just build it out of plywood, slap some Bondo on it and paint it. It's where, what's the difference? Like if, if, if it doesn't look like the material you're working with, it's like, I'm going to build this beautiful, walnut table and then i'm going to paint it black yeah. why yeah i had a i had a uh, we found a pantry door uh at an antique market one time we were remodeling our first house and um it was this beautiful it was actually a french door uh it was from france and uh it was beautiful wood had painted glass in it it was painted white and it was one half of a set we actually only bought one half of a set and one half it was bullnose on one side and concave on the other which was really cool we bought the bullnose side um, and I had my, uh, my millwork, my woodworker, uh, artisan friend, um, refinish it for me. And he got this thing, got the paint off. He was like, this is mahogany and I'm not going to stain it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, we, as artisans, as craftspeople, and I'm talking about you and me, Caleb, and 
a lot of our students share this and a lot of people who aren't our students also share this is we're passionate about concrete for what concrete is. We're, 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 we're going off on in the weeds here, but it, it's kind of related to the casting thing and I'll, I'll try to steer it back. But, you know, if we're working with a material, let's celebrate it. That's why people want it. Otherwise, yeah. look, we're talking about Corian, right? Mm-hmm. What What's the most beautiful white uniform material that you can make things out of is white Corian, right? Right. So why not just do that? Like yeah. why, why, why spend all this time? I guess it's a point of pride that you can do that, but you might as well, that's, that's now a piece of sculpture that it, it, it's like, it's like, well, and I'm not sitting here. So you're not sitting here saying that it's a, it's, I don't feel like it's a bad thing to say you, you can, you know, make concrete that doesn't have pinholes or whatever. Like that's cool. I mean, we can too. Uh, obviously, but character comes from flaws. I really like variability. Character comes from the spontaneous expression of the material itself. Yeah. So if I can make perfectly exact the same thing, every time the concrete doesn't do what it does, there's no variation. Then I may as well go to MDF and paint. Like it's not why I got into concrete. Now, that being said, I like not having to grout. Right. But there are so many instances where I choose to, you know, like it's funny because we, you know, we celebrate the fact that we're we're choosing different sands. We're refining this thing. We can make pinhole free concrete. That's great. And then the next 15 clients I have don't want it. And so I make something with a lot of variation. And that's how it goes. Here's how this ties back into the casting surface. You know, we kind of got off on this because we're talking about, you know, buying a, a, a perfect sheet of, say, acrylic. All right, you're going to spend a lot of money on a surface that really is a one-time use only because once you use it and it gets scratched, it's no longer mm-hmm. perfect anymore. And how are you going to get those? Like when you actually I have a photo of this, and this kind of also relates to um, splicing melamine. So let me show my share my screen real quick. I mean, we're jumping all over the place on this. It's 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 awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so this this actually was a, a casting surface that I did when I was teaching in New Zealand, and it was kind of a mistake. So what you're seeing here is a uh, splice mark. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's probably look, just never going to go pinners, away. Look at the pinners. Um, it, and, and what happened was this was a big piece of form ply. No, actually... This was a this was a piece of material used for the floor of trailers, mm-hmm. and it's essentially form ply. So the coating, this brown coating, is a kind of phenolic over. I don't know if you can see on the edge, very thick marine grade plywood. I think it's like over an inch thick, very very strong. But it got cut this much too short, so it was supposed to be four meters long and it got cut accidentally a hundred millimeters too short. So to get the original, the correct length, we had to splice it back together. And it, it was one of these, oh, oh shit moments. Like we weren't planning <laughs> to do this and we had to scramble to figure out how to do it. Um, I don't think I have any other photos of the actual process, but you know, when you splice things, and this is all ties together, so just roll with me, folks. 
when you splice things, you need to make sure that this surface and this surface are exactly coplanar, exactly in the same plane, and don't have any kind of dip or hump. So everywhere you see a ridge here is actually a, a groove in the joint. And everywhere you see uh, a sort of groove here was a, a hump, hump in the, joint. In the form. So you tell me which is worse. Well, the the hump in the form is worse because you can't get it out. I'd rather have I'd rather have right. a hump in the concrete or a right. depression in the form so that I can polish it out. What you're seeing they're both bad. Yeah, what you're seeing here is fresh off the mold. This is an mm -hmm. ass cast or cream finish. Tell me how you're going to fix that in a cream finish. Couldn't tell you because it can't be done. Because it can't be done. Now, it didn't matter because we put paint. That's it. Bondo and paint. That's how Bondo and paint, baby. Bondo and paint. Make me the welder I ain't. Um, mm -hmm. So we just ground it out. And that was the solution. Like it just ground out no problem. And when you're dealing with casting surfaces like steel mm -hmm. or um, Corian that gets scratched or epoxy, which we haven't talked about, but we will, when those surfaces get well, we damaged, sort of talked about it. I mean, we, yeah, we danced we'll around come, it. Uh, we'll come back a little bit, but you're going to have an imperfectly imperfect cast surface in your concrete. And if you're going to hone the surface, get your salt and pepper finish, who cares? It doesn't matter. It goes away. Yeah. It goes away. And that's, to me, the biggest advantage of not doing a cream finish is it relaxes the constraints on your casting surface. <laughs> and if you have to do extraordinary things every time you cast to prevent damage to your casting surface, are you really helping yourself? Right. So look at the big picture, not just what's in the moment or what that particular end result looks like because it makes you feel good. Um, and, and just to touch on the epoxy, like when you cast, so there's a, a whole range of epoxies and I've, I've personally used, I've used the bar top epoxy and regretted it. Um, not, not I that regretted I regretted it. I uh, know you did. And I did too. It's too soft. I, I, didn't, I didn't regret it, but I wish I had made a better choice. Um, well, so my experience was it was too soft and it was semi susceptible to heat, but it didn't like didn't curl or anything dumb like that. It stuck. So when I would use rapid set, which I did a lot, I did almost exclusively. If I didn't like just go nuts with the wax, completely bonkers with the wax or the yeah. re release, like it was just an absolute nightmare to release, uh, yeah. even if I had waxed it couple times like we're talking three or four rounds of wax and mold release and i'm like i don't want to do that um and so it would get soft and and sticky uh and then you know once the concrete was off it was fine you'd cast on it again i mean i used it for several years but i regretted bar top epoxy and yeah. when i did had the opportunity to do it again i did a different kind of epoxy yeah. when um the the um i think now the, i will say the way, way self-leveling epoxies are formulated they have to have a very very long open time you know, yes. hours and hours so that they mm -hmm. can gradually self-level. Yeah. And uh, that's, I think that's their Achilles heel. And that's the reason why they, they yeah. take forever to cure. Other, so here's, a, here's the other solution. Is well, and one, other, one other thing, Jeff, if, if you, before if I let you, you move If you move cast on. on a bar top epoxy too quickly, the concrete will actually bond to the epoxy. 
Yes. And and before I let you move on from that, one thing I will say is that uh, I've had some experience with certain epoxies that brown uh, with sunlight. Uh, so I did some white bathtubs uh, on System 3 epoxy, which I do not recommend, even though it's a good epoxy. It's a, it's a good epoxy, just not for this. Cast some white bathtubs, and I, I processed them outside because there was very little room in the shop. And darn it, if they didn't turn brown. And I had to grind and grind and grind and grind and grind and grind to get them back to white. So um, West Systems, I do recommend. I've never had that happen before. Um, some sort of non-yellowing epoxy. Uh, you know, make sure that that's UV stable. Um, well, you know, most, there's... most epoxies aren't truly UV stable. And so maybe, maybe the option is to put a clear coat over the top of the epoxy if you're going to do a reusable mold or something like that. Um, I never had that experience with the bar top epoxy I used for outdoor kitchens or anything like that on that table. It's really just the system three that I've had that experience with. So, and unfortunately you, you, it's not something you look up in a spec or anything like that. And it's one of these situations where you kind of learn the hard way and it's like, mm -hmm. crap. and so we're saying that, yep. I've seen uh, now that being said, I ground and 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 hardly came up with any fibers and hardly came up with any pinholes. So. Alpha Pro baby. Yep. Um, um, I yeah. big table that I saw that was made by somebody else in somebody else's shop that was a six by twenty four foot. They actually use uh, an industrial floor epoxy that was gray, like it was for warehouses. Um, and the technique, and if you actually choose to buy my casting table plans. There's two different styles, and, and one of them I show this epoxy method, and I, I used it in, in, in this case. And the, the actual method of, of epoxying the top is makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. You're not using a ton of epoxy. You're not like pouring a thick layer because when you do self-leveling, you can't pour a thin layer. You need enough body to it so that it, it can flow on, on its own. Mm -hmm. With this one was you have your form and then you stretch a thin piece of fabric over it, something stretchy and fairly thin and you staple it down. So it's kind of like fabric forming and all it's there to do is sort of bridge any low spots. Well, it would, oh, that's actually a cool idea because if you used fleece and you could even do a couple of layers. That's too thick. I'm talking about like, uh, I don't know the names of a lot of fabric, but it's really, really thin. Bandex. Yeah, but it's more open. Like, it, But, I mean, think about this. This is just a total, like, I'm shooting from the hip here. I've never done it, never thought about it. Just, this is shooting from the hip. So take this with all the grains of salt in the world. If you test it, tell me how it works. But if you were to straight up build a casting table and fabric form the top of it, like flat, with fleece, if you did two layers of fleece, in theory, if you got it really, really saturated with the epoxy, you would have essentially almost a half-inch layer of solid. Could be cool. Maybe. Don't use don't use fiberglass resin because it will shrink. Yeah. Um, so you stretch it over there and you flood the top and you're rolling it on, right? We're we're not talking like pour it on heavy. You're rolling it on, and the the fabric's job is to kind of help the epoxy pool, and you you want to basically get it enough material on there so that the fabric is fully saturated and you can see that like you can visually see and the fabric stretched tight so it's going to bridge any low spots it's not going to be perfectly flat but it's going to bridge the low spots 
It's kind of like when you make a bed and you stretch the sheets really tight, it <laughs> flattens out. So the excess epoxy will pool underneath the fabric, and if you fill it up, it'll it'll hit that top. So it's kind of like a visual indicator. Once you let yeah. that cure, then you come in and start rolling on more layers, kind yeah. of heavy layers on top of that. And But ultimately, you have to sand this flat. Like that's, oh, gosh, that's yeah. the downside is there's a lot of sanding. And so if you want a really flat table, you have to go through the process of sanding it and use your levels to find your high spots. And, and maybe even if you have a low spot, fill that back in. So it's this is the downside of epoxy is it's a pain in the butt and you got to pick a good one. Um, but the, the advantage is you can lit make a table of any size and shape you want. Mm -hmm. um, um, love that. Um, I want to touch on... Before we wrap it up, because yep. um, we've been an hour and 15, I think, so we probably ought to, ought, ought to wrap it up. But um, touch on a couple things. Uh, we've got um, May, no, April 29th through May the 3rd, Ultimate. Um, we've already had a few signups for that. Um, so our summer and, well, I guess that's really spring. Our spring and fall classes um, are already filling up. So, um, yeah. you know, don't don't waste your time. Don't hesitate. I know that really it seems like after 2020 there was kind of a big um change and so people plan ahead less um it seems to me uh so we end up having you know a, a lot of signups early but then uh you know it, it will kind of taper off and then we'll have a lot of signups like days out which is kind of hard to plan for but that is what it is um i think the last class you know we had it had 10 students early, early, and then the last four signed up like oh, less than a week out. So, um, so just if you can plan ahead, um, you'll get better Airbnbs, you'll get better flights, you know, all of that fun stuff. And um, the, the other advantage is, and this is something we encourage, is if you sign up early, you, you, you get a lot of the, the class materials early. You can start practicing. You can start getting some of the things you're going to need. Um, yeah. Because when you, when you come to class, when you when you do anything, like let's say let's say you're going to go to like a baking class, and I want to learn how to you know do cake decorating. Great. You, you know you invest your time, you invest your money. It's fun. You go there. If you don't go home and practice right away, everything you've just learned starts to evaporate. Starts to go away. So if you have everything you need ahead of time, bam, hit the ground running fresh. Mm -hmm. And that's every one of my successful students has done that. You know, I've, I've had folks in the past that are like, oh, I couldn't get to it. It's been, you know, a few months and they forget. It's like, man, you just did yourself a huge, dis dis you know, disservice by not planning ahead. and Sign up early, get the stuff early, get yourself ready to go. If you're serious about it, you're going to do this. You're going to have yeah. to do it sooner or later. So start planning ahead. You know, the end of April is not that far away. Um, really, two two and a half months. So we really encourage you guys to, you know, think about it. Talk to us if you have questions. Um, we're here to help you. You know, we're here. We're here to to make you successful with whatever dream you have. And it's, you know, training, um, hands-on training, support during class, after class, 
um, and through the, the the specialty products that we're we're offering, which are critical keys to your success. They're not just like oh well, they want to they want to sell stuff because they want to sell stuff. I mean, the decorative concrete industry is full of that. You know, people selling their own your own branded trowels and silly things that you can get anywhere. We're making and we're we're tailoring very specialty ingredients that are critically important to this industry that, you know, 10 years ago when everybody was making their own concrete and we weren't doing that many complicated things. We weren't doing very um, technically challenging things, mm -hmm. but only in the last few years have the, the, the scope of projects that people want to do that our customers are asking us to do and the timeframes we have to do things in, those have become more and more challenging. And frankly, you know, I'm looking at both as, as an industry leader, as a, a, an educator, as an engineer, and as somebody who's been doing this for 25 years, the, the things we did 10 years ago will cover the basics, but they're not going to get you that cutting edge stuff. You're not going to be able to do it. So yeah. that's why we are packaging these, well, creating these products and making them available to you. We're not making you use them. Right. That's the other important distinction. Because you don't have to use them, but they're at your fingertips and available so that when you are tasked to do that complex project, you have the full confidence that you're going to be able to pull it off the first time the way you want it to come out. I love it. So just in case I cut out mm -hmm. several times, got a couple of phone calls. I'm really sorry. Uh, so I'm going to go back and look and see if there are any like dead spots where it doesn't make sense. Uh, and I'll do my best to, to edit those in a way that makes sense with the flow of the conversation. So apologies mm -hmm. for that. My computer had died and it was taking 38 years to come back on. So next week I will actually be on my computer. Uh, and that will happen. Um, so class, April 29th through May the 3rd and October, what are the dates? Let me look at my computer. October 14th through 18th, 2024. Yep. Uh, and again, already filling up. Um, and then uh, if you've been following us on social media, we're putting out some more um, informative content. So Definitely um, follow and give us a like and follow there. Subscribe to the podcast. Um, if you have any topics you want us to cover, let us know. Um, and, uh, you know, we are working really, really hard to provide the best and most, um, most affordable for what they are ingredients uh, that you can buy uh, on the market and put them all in one place. So um, if there's anything you'd like to see, maybe, you know, talk to us. But, um, but we really are, you know, conscientious about the products that we offer. I, in my shop, even before I, you know, was part owner, owner, um, used as many CCI products as I could and they have never let me down. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we would love to see you making quality craft concrete with, uh, with the stuff that we are so passionate about. Um, and certainly would love to see you come learn craft concrete from us. We would love to teach you. So see you next week. And Bye. yeah, I love it. Take care. All right. Have a good one. My God. Thanks for listening to the Maker in the Mix podcast. If you liked the content and want to hear more, please like and subscribe. 
Uh, feel free to follow us on YouTube as well as Instagram, Facebook, and check out the website, www.concretecountertopinstitute.com. And of course, we'd love to see you at one of our upcoming classes. Tune in next week for more informative content. Thanks.